Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your host, Shrini Poo, in this episode 355. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stacey. That is at StaceyFan89 on Twitter. Stacey, how are you doing on this Wednesday morning? Uh, it's frigid, so, yeah. Uh, bundled up more than I usually am. Uh, yes, it is chilly out there. Um, the Knicks uh, are not chilly, at least not offensively. Uh, but before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strickland Instagram. Post all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may, where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you've not done so already, please hit like, subscribe to the channel, leave us a comment. That would be a huge help to us. Strickland also has merchandise that is available on our website. You can find that at www strict.land there's a link there that'll take you to the merchandise store and you can find all kinds of cool stuff t-shirts sweatshirts hats coffee mugs water bottles you name it we've got it again you can find that on our website strickland also has a patreon which you can subscribe to there are a number of different tiers there's a six dollar tier that gets you access to pod strickland's podcast i host every friday with prez you also get access to takes from obvious bozos our news podcast hosted by andrew seal aka doug along with Zach Bladder. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I ran to rain by the next year more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Marta, one of the best in the business. And now you get access to Strickland NFL. And you guessed it. Yes, it is our newest podcast, an NFL podcast hosted by Constant Metricos and Jeffrey Rasmussen. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Let's come with a variety of additional benefits like listening to pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, and this would be possible without you. And none of this would be possible without Bet Online. All the major sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but online, where the game starts. Um, so, the Knicks uh, snapped a two-game losing streak, uh, and they defeated the Toronto Raptors 136-130, uh, to which was nice. Uh, not so nice that they gave up 130 again, uh, and even less nice is that a reason why they gave up 130 is that Mr. Robinson uh was ruled out for at least eight to ten weeks which is when he'll be re-examined with an ankle injury uh that i guess requires some type of surgery um i don't know which i guess before we get into maybe the game but what are your kind of broad thoughts uh with mitch robinson being out and the next heading into what is almost undoubtedly the toughest month of their season yeah i mean it's obviously less than ideal um, you know, Mitch has been having, um, or had been having a defensive player of the year caliber season, or at least first team all defense caliber season. Uh, I believe it's positionless this year too, right? 
Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that would have been an advantage too um, for him. Uh, you know, I, I thought um, it was particularly, you know, look, eight to ten weeks for anyone uh, playing that well it sucks. Um, it just really worked hard. His teammates have praised him. Um, you know, you'll you'll still see like weird comments here and there from his trainer, but. Um, you know, I think Mitch is a really positive part of that team, and it's tough to see that happen. Um, it's also particularly bad timing because the Knicks had a couple of their sloppiest games. Um, you know, obviously in the play uh, in the uh, in-season tournament, and Mitch was obviously part of that. But there was just a team-wide lack of communication, um, and you know, so losing still your best defender at that point doesn't help. When you're struggling with communication, losing probably your best defensive communicator and Emmanuel quickly at the same time, though obviously doesn't look to be as extended, didn't help either. Um, but having said all that, the Knicks do have a very good backup in Isaiah Hartenstein, is, who has, especially over the last few games, really come on and played well. He gives you certain looks that Mitch doesn't. Um, you know, We'll see if he's able to do more on offense now if he's playing with Randall and Brunson a lot more. Uh, I know they started Sims, but um, you know, I expect Hartenstein will get the bulk of the minutes. Um, but I think the drop off from Mitch to Hartenstein actually concerns me less than the drop off from, you know, Hartenstein isn't going to be the same level of monster on the offensive glass. I think he's not far off as a rim protector. He's turned into a pretty good defensive rebounder. Um, you know, I, I don't think that will be a huge drop off. I think that, um, what I am concerned about is Sims, right? Um, can, cause he hasn't shown to be a great rim protector. He's good at moving his feet in space. If you want to change the scheme to allow for that, fine. But especially the starters, you know, Brunson can't really switch. Um, you know, I don't know if you can really go with their starting DiVincenzo. He's not really someone that can that you want switching onto bigger players. So, um, so it's interesting because in just the drop and just protecting the rim, Sims is that's not really his strength um, because he's he's a little undersized for the center position. He has long arms and he can drop, can jump. Um, but, you know, there's very little margin for error at that point when you're 6'9". So we'll see how much he's grown. Uh, but I think that's what's more concerning. Um, and obviously, we just hope Mitch gets better and makes full recovery. Um, and, uh, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see what kind of adjustments Tibbs makes on defense and um, if the other guys can pick up the slack. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's obviously never great when anybody gets injured, but um, you know, for the Knicks purposes, I think Mitch Robinson getting hurt is a pretty big deal. Um, I am less doom and gloom about it in the sense of that uh, the Knicks last year went 12 and 11 and 23 games without him. Um, and it feels like everybody's forgetting that for some reason. Um, it also is weird to me that anybody was surprised Jericho sort of started the game because that's literally what the you say 12 happened. and 11. Yeah, they went 12 and 11 last year without him. Um, yeah, so I'm, I do think our sights are set a little bit higher than that this year. But um, but yeah, to your point, that wasn't disastrous. So, I mean, yeah, but your sights are set where they are in part because of Mitch Robinson. So if you're treading water without him, I think that's fine. That's actually pretty solid. Um, and, you know, again, I don't know why anybody was surprised that Jericho Sims started silly what happened last year. So I don't know. It's well, like, I mean, Hardenstein has really improved his play since then, right? And Sim just hasn't played at all. So, I mean, it's a Tibbs weird thing, but I was, I don't, I wouldn't say I was surprised, but um, it was interesting. Um, 
I don't know. I thought it was pretty. I was not surprised at all. I fully expected that to happen. So um, it is what it is. Uh, that part is, you know, obviously the defense is going to take a hit. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, I thought that was, I mean, whatever. I, I don't really want to do this, but yeah, I, I would just say that was a pretty bad defensive performance again from the team. Uh, a few individuals very specifically and um you know more more disappointing or more concerning maybe in some ways and and part of the reason why the defense is likely to take a hit with that much robinson is um just how much the rebounding uh fell off especially the defensive rebounding yes offensive rebounding too but um you know when you were talking about defense obviously defensive rebounding matters more and without mitch um you know and not just not just that you're without mitch it's that sims is taking those minutes and sims for all the things that he can do um he's not a guy he's not a gigantic guy he's yes he's a physical specimen but in terms of centers in the nba uh he's actually not quite a center size in a lot of ways so um he struggles at times to box guys out keep them off the glass and uh i think we saw that very much in action uh throughout that game granted toronto themselves are you know they are a pretty strong defense or offensive rebounding team so you know we'll see like they, they'll be further tests ahead utah's a good offensive rebounding team uh phoenix is a good offensive rebounding team so that's their next two matchups so it'll be interesting to see how he performs in those and how the team performs uh in terms of defensive rebounding uh what i do find interesting and what i am maybe betting on or counting on or whatever um uh, i don't know if the offensive drop off will actually be that much i know like if you look at mitchell robinson's splits for the season the team performs much better offensively with him on the floor they have 118.2 offensive rating with him on the floor in 614 minutes and with him off the floor uh they have 114.3 offensive rating in 442 minutes uh i would counter to that by saying that i don't think i think that exaggerates his offensive impact by quite a bit. He's only played 20 minutes a season without Jalen Brunson on the floor. Um, and I think that's a massive, massive deal. And um, Jalen Brunson has played 188 minutes without Mitch Robinson on the floor. In those minutes, the Knicks have 123.4 offensive rating. Uh, defensive rating, 112.9. So the defense is not totally collapsed with Mitch Robinson on the floor in those minutes. But obviously, most of these minutes prior to the game against Toronto came with Hartenstein on the floor. So, you know, obviously a very good defensive player in his own right, but very specifically uh, why I'm not too concerned about the offense. And actually I think there's a chance the offense might fucking take off um, is that they get much better shots with Mitch Robinson off the floor. And you might be surprised by that. Cause you'd be like, well, Mitch Robinson gets 7 billion offensive rebounds and he, you know, he's putting up, he's tipping the ball back and he's getting dunks and whatever. Well, here's the numbers for you. With Mitchell Robinson on the floor, the New York Knicks are taking 19.4% of their shots at the rim. They're only shooting those at 56.3%. They're taking 100, they're taking 14.1% of their shots from three to 10 feet. And they're shooting that at 43.5%. Um, and they're taking 
12 and a half percent of their shots from short mid range, 10 to 16 feet, uh, at 35.7 percent. They also take, uh, sorry, sorry, they take eight percent of their shots in these minutes from three. Oh, no, sorry, that was wrong. They're taking 40 percent of their shots, 40.4 percent of their shots from three. Uh, they're actually hitting those at 41.1 percent now. Uh, in the minutes without Robinson on the floor so far this season, that's 442 minutes. The Knicks are taking 25.6% of their shots at the rim, zero to three feet. 61.6% is what they're shooting on that. From uh, three to 10 feet, they're taking 16% of their shots. They're shooting 41.7%. Taking 10.8% of their shots in the short mid range, 48.3%. And they are shooting. 36.5% of their shots in three uh, at something close to 36% from the field um, on those shots. You know, whatever you want to make of all that. Uh, there's a lot going on, but I do, oh, think, do you think I Actually, I am curious what you would make of that. Do you think, because um, we've talked about this, right? It almost seems like a conscious strategy to operate from shorter mid-range and closer to the hoop to get Mitchell Robinson those opportunities. So do you think that is some that's a reflection of that? And you know, and maybe they'll just go away from that and that'll improve the shot profile, or do you think it's something different there? Uh, that, uh, no, I think that's exactly what it is. Uh and if you actually look at the minutes with Brunson on and Mitchell Robinson off this year, that's 188 minutes. So look, it is still a small sample. Uh, but I do think it says something. They're taking twenty-seven point six percent of their shots in those minutes at the rim. 63.3% uh, is what they're finishing. They're taking 15.2% of their shots from 3 to 10 feet. They're shooting 38.9% of those. They're taking 11.3% of their shots from short mid-range, 10 to 16 feet, shooting 50% of those. And they are taking about uh, 30, do, 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 34? Okay. 30, yeah. Yeah, 34, 34% of their shots from 3. Uh, and they are shooting those at, uh, I don't really know the number here, but probably something like 37, 38%. Uh, the point being, I think what's more telling, uh, more than the percentage one is the volume. They're consistently getting to the rim, um, at a much higher threes too. Yeah. And, and taking more three. No, they're taking less threes. Actually. They're taking more threes with Mitch on the floor, which actually makes sense. Um, but they're taking way less shots at the rim with Mitch on the floor, which also makes sense to me. Um, and they're taking way more shots at the rim when you especially adjust for the minutes that Brunson plays without Mitch Robinson on the floor. And we've talked about this. Uh, the Knicks, you know, if you look at the numbers from last year to this year, you know, I think basically Julius Randle is shooting worse at the rim. RJ Barrett was shooting worse at the rim. Jalen Brunson shooting worse at the rim. Manuel quickly shooting worse at the rim. Like, I'm not putting this all on, on Mitchell Robinson, but I do think that there's something to be said about, like, if your strategy involves your center nominally setting a screen and then running to the front of the rim to get established offensive rebounding position, um, there are some trickle-down effects of that. And some of those effects result in poor finishing, less finishing at the rim whatever it is, but I do think it's telling that the volume and the percentages of their finish of the team's finishing drops this season when Mitch Robinson is in the game. Um, and I think they'll benefit in some ways offensively. They'll also 
probably not benefit in some ways offensively. We know that there's a value of Mitchell Robinson um, being able to hoover up extra possessions. And they're obviously going to lose that, even though Jericho Sims is a pretty solid offensive rebounder. We know Isaiah Arnstein is a solid offensive rebounder. They're not elite in the same way that Mitch is. Um, but I do think having two centers now who are less um, geared towards running as fast as they can to the front of the rim. And not just that, I think they're both a lot more comfortable with the ball in their hands. I actually think Jericho Sims is pretty underrated in terms of his comfort with the ball um, for a center anyway. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm less, I think the Knicks can, can, you know, tread water or whatever you want to phrase it. Uh, but I do think it's going to come in the form of being a much more, uh, you know, a much stronger offensive team um, than, than, you know, finding a great balance or something. Uh, the defense is going to take a hit. There's no two ways around it. And especially given the rebounding impact he has on the defensive glass, Mitchell Robinson, and um, some of the general effort issues we've seen, specifically in transition and other stuff, um, they're definitely going to take a hit there. But I do think the offense uh, has a chance to still be really, really good without him. Yeah, I mean, I am not as high on, on Jericho's ability to do much more on offense than what Mitch was giving you. Um, you know, Hartenstein can at least hit that little um, push shot. Um, you know, Jericho, we've seen him try to create a little bit. He experiments with that fadeaway jumper. I'm not sure he can have an impact. I think it's a really good point that you made. I do think it's when he does come back, I think it may be worth at some point for them to have a conversation. It's like, did we lean too much into the offensive rebounding thing? Um, and early season, again, it's fine for them to have experimented with that. I'm not blaming it. Uh, and we're not even saying I don't think that that might that is the wrong choice, right? If you, maybe the percentages going down is a worthy trade-off, um, but I think you know a point I would agree is that it, the Knicks are not reliant necessarily on Mitchell Robinson's offensive rebound. That is a direction strategically they have gone. Um, it is not that they have no other options, right? They can rely more on their perimeter scorers. Um, you know, they can, um, you know, they can, I, I think that, yeah, like how will they win the possession battle? They'll have to shoot better and they'll have to continue to avoid turnovers. I would imagine not having Mitch shouldn't affect that one way or the other make, because he doesn't, he's not really turning the ball over much. Um, you might have an increase of one or two turnovers when Hardenstein decides he wants to try to be Brett Favre, but, um, you know, I, I think that that's a, that's a pretty good point. Um, I think I am a little bit more concerned about, like, I definitely agree Hartenstein gives you some better spacing because he moves more on the perimeter. Uh, he's a better screen setter. Um, you know, he has a little mid-range game. I don't necessarily think Sims can threaten like that. Um, but, but we'll see. And I, I would be curious, the last thing I'll say is, yeah, like, I would be curious if we see that kind of uptick with Sims on the floor and field goal percentages and shots at the rim. Or, you know, if he ends up being similar to Mitch and that he's kind of a rim-running big whose main focus is going to be offensive rebounding on the glass on offense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I obviously am not, uh, you know, saying, oh, we're better off without Mitch. But I do think uh, offensively there's an interesting argument to be had. Um, and it's also why even as well as Mitch has played this year uh, and he's been awesome. 
and as awesome as his contract is and all this stuff, I do think like uh, I've been hesitant to say like, well, that's it. Center of the future. We're locked in forever and we're set here. Um, do I think you can compete with Mitch Robinson at your center? Probably. Um, but, you know, I, I think when you're watching, like, you know, if you watch a lot of the best teams around the league, I think there's a reason why a lot of them have centers that are a little bit more capable of, I'm not going to say shot creation, but um, just more capable with the ball in their hands, be that as a shot creator, even just stuff as simple as dribbling. that Mitch just struggles with and like he's just never going to be that good at it you know it's cool that he busts out a crossover every now and then and a in and out dribble which was crazy but like that's just not that that's you know it's going to be once in a blue moon stuff he's not going to be able to consistently do that and I think there are um, some drawbacks to it but um, he is out and that is the new reality Knicks have to adjust to uh, they play uh, the last the last note on that do you see them making a move in the short term, whether it's signing a guy like Taj Gibson or trading for someone to bolster the center depth or, you know, while he's out? Um, yeah. I, I don't think so. I would, I, I think that if they do something, maybe it'll be, you know, I, I, I would be surprised that they did something going into, um, maybe after this month, going into January, but I struggle to, I, I struggle to see them doing anything right now. I think that would be kind of, that's just not something they've done. Uh, I think we lost you there. Um, but I do think they have confidence in uh, Jericho Sims for sure. Um, you know, so they haven't used these kind of short-term moves to, uh, you know, to mitigate for injury or something like that. Um, so I definitely get that. Um, I am curious, though. I mean, it's just it feels like the stakes are a little higher this year, right? And um you know, I am curious if, if that changes and, and they are a little bit more in win-now mode than, than they have been in previous years. I mean, I'm sure they are. I, I just don't know that, like, there's going to be a move out there that makes sense for them to make. Um, and, you know, like, it's also just hard to make moves before the deadline. Uh, I know they had the last two seasons. And last year, the Josh Hart one, they kind of made it before the deadline, but it was basically the week. It was like a couple of days leading up to the dead to the trade deadline so um it's just hard because teams you know deadlines create pressure and as i'm sure as any college student knows uh oftentimes maybe you don't do anything until the deadline's staring in your face um so, so leon rose is going to do a bunch of adderall and um at the trade yeah. deadline and, and get a lot of marketing yes adderall <laughs> that's what he's going to be doing snorting a bunch of adderall leon rose um but no i i don't know i i think that I, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of if they added Taj, it wouldn't totally shock me just because it's like, hey, we don't they don't have a third center right now. 
Like the third center is basically Randall, who was also your only true kind of like power forward. So my hot take little... is Deuce McBride would be better at center than Randall. I I think there's not, it's not that much of a hot take as far as I'm concerned. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think that I could see them just adding Todd because it's like, hey, we know him. We know that he doesn't need to play to stay ready. He'll be fine. If we need to call on him, he'll, you know, go out there and give us like a good 15 minutes or whatever, and we can move on. Um, so I wouldn't be too surprised if they did that, but I do think I would be surprised if they dip into the trade market anytime soon. I think they'll let this play out almost because they have to, not not even necessarily because they have an option. Well, because... a, a guy you brought up before is Kelly Olinick. Um, and I think what's interesting about that is that he doesn't just help fill this Mitch um, situation. He can play the four, right? And he gives you a little bit of that inside outside. Do you think that maybe they target someone who can help them now, but also in the future uh, because of that? Because I think they wanted Sims to be kind of a hybrid, right? Or they, they wanted, they've used Josh Hart as a hybrid wing four and RJ. I think Sims, they really were hopeful at one point that he can play the four because of his ability to put the ball on the floor. We just haven't seen that come to fruition. Do they target a guy like Olenek or someone who eventually can take over that role even after Mitch comes back? Um, yeah, I don't know. And that's, that's what I, th I think is interesting about it. Like Kelly Olenek is really, I, I actually think he'd be a really good addition. He's got playoff experience, obviously as a, yeah, as a different dynamic. Um, it, it's, it's a different dynamic that the Knicks, I think quite honestly need in some ways. Like I think they could use a center that can open up the floor and just throw that look at teams. Um, you know, we literally have had Jalen Brunson uh, now for what is into his second season. And the only time we've really seen him in any kind of five out lineup is desperation mode at the end of games when the Knicks are down like 10 points and they just need offense. And when I say end of games, I'm talking about like the last, you know, fucking two minutes or something. Uh, and they play Randall at the five. We saw some very, very brief stints of Randall and Obi at the th at the four and five. Uh, and guess what? He looked really, really dynamic. I think the offense was great in those minutes. But like, we don't have a real sample of that. And um, what we do know is that Jalen Brunson, uh, his breakout year with Dallas, was with a team that played a shit ton of five out, and he was a key part of that. And he was a, as a great ISO scorer, he was able to capitalize on all the advantages that yield. So. Um, you know, adding a player like Olenek gives you an advantage there. I would worry about, you know, if Mitch comes back, does Tibbs, would Tibbs take a player like that out of the rotation or would he just be like, okay, well, now you're the backup four and now all of a sudden you have even less minutes to distribute between guys like, you know, Quickly and Hart, uh, those two specifically, and Grimes for that matter, who I think need more minutes, could benefit from more minutes, whatever. Um, and that that's an issue, but that's also a coaching issue. <clears throat> and um, I don't know if the front office should be evaluating personnel moves based on what I think is personally just a coaching shortcoming of Tibbs. Um, so like, I, I don't know. I, I think they should still be in the business of adding players that can help them win, especially in Mitch's absence. Uh, but that is a concern to have, you know, when it, when Mitch inevitably returns. So um, I don't know, but I, I mean, I would still be into uh, Olenek, but I, I just don't think that, I don't think the Jazz are going to make a trade until the deadline. Like, I think they will make trades, but they won't do it until the deadline because what's the reason for them? Unless you're making such a strong offer 
that they're like, okay, fuck it, let's pull the trigger, which, why are you doing that for Kelly Olenek? And, why, and you know, given this front office's track record, um, yeah, I, I don't know. He's, um, yeah, it, it would be, it'd be difficult to see. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, a little bit. I'm I'm not excited, but I am interested to see what how they how they manage this because last year when Mitch was out, kind of missed two separate stints. Neither of them this extended. Um, this is like this could be a three month absence, maybe right? Because he's getting reevaluated in eight to ten weeks. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so the Knicks do not have Mitchell Robinson, uh, but they do or they did play a basketball game against the Toronto Raptors, which again, they won 136-130. Um, I don't know. I'm curious, like what were your takeaways uh, from, from what we saw in this game? Yeah. I mean, we're continuing to see sloppy defense. Um, like I said, losing their two best defenders didn't help. Um, I think that um, it's interesting. Um, you know, if you look at it, like an almost like an AB test, right. Uh, you had, Early in the season, I think the things that the thing that really sticks out is, um, you know, we we've talked a lot on this pod about how much Quentin Grimes struggled and was barely even looking at the rim. Uh, it felt like um, goes to the bench, has a pretty solid effort um, against Boston, comes out, puts up 19, um, matches Scotty Barnes. By the way, almost off by a point, um, had a much way, way better plus minus. Um, so whereas Dante DiVincenzo in the starting lineup, his impact was much more muted. Um, so I'm a little concerned about that position for sure. Um, because we need, we simply need more, not either of them as players, but you're seeing that maybe it wasn't Grimes. Maybe that really is just a tough position to produce from with that starting lineup. Um, and I think that's something they'll need to address. Um, especially, you know, especially given you, you probably will need more offense from there. You'll need more perimeter scoring with, um, you know, with the fact that you can't rely on offensive rebounds as much. Um, but I thought, you know, it was a game, it was a tight game, you know, obviously coming off a couple losses with an emotional loss in Mitch. Um, and I thought they should, they've showed good mental toughness. They clearly don't have it on defense right now. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said about having the fight and, you know, we have complained a lot about Randall. I think both of us are skeptical if he can be part of a championship team, but it's, I mean, he really dominated their front line, which hasn't always been the case in the past. Um, so some encouraging things still concerned about, still concerned about the, uh, the defense for sure. Did he fuck it? How did he dominate? I want to, like, I, I really want to understand this. Can we be very specific in what we're talking about? When we say Randall dominated, offensively, Randall, offensively. Randall dominated offensively, which was very good to see. I'm not. I'm not like, addressing the defense just because it, it, it is what it is. We know. So. But I. I don't know how we cannot address it because it's just to me. It's. So like, I should. I should have said dominate offense. So yeah, because because to me it's like. It, it, I'll, I'll tell you like that game was so frustrating to me to watch Julius Randle play, because you're watching him dominate. To to your point and to his credit whatever you want to say about this Raptors team uh, and you know, they're fucking joke, to be honest, but like between Siakam and Ananobi and even Pirtle, it's a pretty solid defensive front line. 
Uh, Ananobi, a lot of people believe, is the best defensive player uh, maybe in the history of basketball. Just ask Masai. Um, but no, he's a very, he's a very, very good perimeter defender. <laughs> Pascal is a guy who matches up quite well with Julius in terms of physical, kind of just his physical tools, length, whatever. And Pirtle is obviously a pretty solid defensive backstop and Randall completely destroyed all of them. Um, at various points, he, just, he, he, you know, Benji noted this, um, but, uh, they adjusted to the game he played against them, whatever it was, uh, was that? two weeks ago, whatever the fuck it was. Um, and they adjusted uh, his little pet shot like that he likes to shoot going to the right. They were overplaying that, so they made him go uh, to his left, and he was killing them going that way. Uh, I thought some of his playmaking was really nice again in this game. He had a really, really nice pass to, to Josh Hart at the very end of the game that Hart, I think, maybe was even surprised it got to him. Um, but it was a tremendous pass against a, a, a trap that was coming onto him, and you know, um, that's stuff that Randall has struggled with in the past, so that was really encouraging to see. And, again, probably one of his best offensive games of the season, maybe of his, honestly, of his career in some ways, at least his Knicks career. Um, and yet I'm watching that game, and I'm like, you're killing it offensively. And yet I think he ended up with the only minus of the starters. And, I, and, like, and like, I don't Team think so. minus one. Yeah, and it's a minus and, one, so that's not bad. But, but it speaks to the point where it's like he basically was a neutral. Um, and you know, if did he kill them? No, but did his offensive dominance somewhat belie his Im- impact on the overall game? Yeah, I think so. And you know, single game must plus minus isn't everything, and honestly, often it doesn't tell you the story. But I did think in this game it told the story. Um, and I, I, I thought that for as good as his offense was, he was a joke on defense. I mean, that first half, I, I forget the first half. I don't, like, how many times, how many times can you just let guys run by you in transition and not make, he, the guy can't get out of first gear to get out of, get back on defense. Fucking, if he, if he has a chance to get the ball on the break though, he, he's sprinting full speed to do that. Um, I, I'm sorry, like, with Mitch Robinson out, he's the leader of the team. I, I'm I'm not just looking at him to score points. Okay, like yes, obviously that's great. It gives us a much uh, you know greater margin for error. And and to be fair to him, that's like what he was not he he was not doing that to start the year, right? He was both mailing it on defense and playing some of the worst, most inefficient basketball of his career. Maybe I mean historic levels of inefficiency to start the season. So. Um, he deserves credit for turning that around and the short mid range stuff. Like he, he's really, really found a nice comfort zone there. Um, but the defense is, I, I legitimately think this is the worst it's been, um, at least on par with 2021, 22. Like this is that level of defensive apathy we're seeing. And, um, you know, it's, it's also just stuff like, it's like he turns the ball over and then he's just walking back. And it's like, I don't know. I, I that's some just, always will drive me nuts um and and quite and just gonna you know put my cards on the table here like it's it's the stuff that is why i don't believe in him as a long-term piece because i it's again you're like 28 29 years old i think this is who you are like yeah it's really cool that he keeps evolving offensively one i think it'd be nice if we knew what the fuck to expect from him year to year offensively like hey what is your game like we're seeing the, like we get these crazy shifts every year it's like oh now he's taking a shit ton of threes. Oh, now he's decided to take less threes because he wants to get back to bully ball. 
oh, this year he's just going to have a temper tantrum the entire year. Like, we don't know what to expect year to year, shot distribution, all that stuff. I think it makes it challenging for the front office. I think it makes it challenging for others on the team. I think it makes it challenging for the coach. Like, I think there are things about even his growth that are challenging, but at least you can say offensively, there's no question like his skill set growth is. I mean, I don't even know what the hell it is compared to what he was coming into the league, but it's a calling it an outlier is a disservice to to what it is. It is truly one of one uh, how he's morphed his game, but defensively, all that effort stuff, like all, all that shit, is is why I think people are really skeptical. And you know, I will say, uh, if you see some of the like, I, I thought in this matchup, actually, very specifically against the Raptors and the Hawks. So maybe these are just two teams he just feels really comfortable against. Maybe he likes those matchups. Maybe they don't have guys that's that in the playoffs, but yeah. Yeah. But like but like his playmaking in these games and his comfort in bring other guys into the mix, uh, even late in games in pressure situations, uh, has actually been good. And that that is not something that you can consistently I have not been able to consistently say about him. So that is encouraging, and that is something that if that holds up against better teams, better defenses, I think me, uh, even as some, uh, I would say among his harshest critic, harshest critics, um, I would, I would view that as something that does change like fundamentally how maybe you feel or think about him, but uh, the defense is, is just not good enough. And as, like, you know, it's not all on him to be very clear. It is not all on him. The defensive drop-off that we've seen. Um, I thought Josh Hart as uh, one, I, I thought Josh Hart was amazing in this game, but Josh Hart had a couple of terrible defensive possessions in transition. He's also been all over the place with some of his health rotations. Brunson's defense, the last three games uh, has really dropped off. I think teams are maybe finding different ways to target him. And they're, and they're looking at that. Um, there's a play where the Raptors kind of, they, they, the Knicks tried to hide Brunson on OG and they had OG cut back door for an easy layup. Um, like, I think teams are being smarter now about how they're hunting Brunson. I don't know that the DiVincenzo swap for, for Grimes matters to the defense at all. I think it's actually a defensive drop-off. But um, I also get why Tibbs felt like he had to do it. You know, we talked about this plenty, Grimes' struggles. So I understand that. Obviously, Mitch isn't there. Like, I don't you know. It, it's not all on him, you know. It isn't. There's been a drop-off collectively. But his drop off isn't a drop off it's what we've seen all year and as soon as other guys level drops a bit as soon as mitch is out you see what happens okay you get you go up 146 to milwaukee you give up 133 to boston you get 130 to the raptors you let them score 60 points in the first half 70 in the second half like and i know some of that was weird fourth quarter garbage time stuff but that's like that that's not good and um it's also think, not like they shot particularly well by the way they shot 36 percent from three the knicks gave up this is a very poor shooting team yeah and, um, and i so just it's not like they it wasn't like the milwaukee game so they the knicks defense really gave up a lot of good looks yeah and and i just think that um you know that stuff is on like i, I just at the end of the day i would take a little less offensively from julius because I think he has more guys around him capable of picking up the slack on that end, especially with Mitch out. Um, if it meant that he was going to give more defensively, because I don't know, you can you can get a, you can get by with Julius 
mailing it in on defense for most of the season. Uh, when Mitch is out there for long portions of the minutes, like that, that Randall's out on the floor with Mitch out. And especially when we know that Tibbs is going to start Jericho Sims, um, it's, it's very hard. It, it is very, very hard. And, um, that's why, like, I am encouraged by some of the offensive data without Mitch on the floor, but I'm also very, very concerned about where this defense is headed. And, um, you know, I don't need, again, I don't need Julius Randle. You can't expect Julius Randle to be some dominant defensive player given his offensive role. Um, but I think it's crazy. I think it's nuts to to not expect more than what we're seeing. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's actually ludicrous and disrespectful to Randall himself in terms of what he is and what he's capable of as a player and as a talent to praise that performance against Toronto beyond what he did offensively. Because overall, to me, that was not even close to among his best performances. That is like, I thought the, the game he played in Toronto against the same team was way more impressive to me. I thought he was fantastic in that game. I said that that, that was in some ways, I think it might've been the most complete performance of, of, you know, Randall's Knicks career in a lot of ways, just given the two-way dominance, genuine two-way dominance. Um, and that wasn't there against Toronto. So tremendous offensive performance from Julius, great shot making, some very, very encouraging decision-making late in the game against coverages that he's struggled against. But the defense is a major, major concern. And um, I don't feel like we need to ignore that just because he shot well from the field. I think not to ignore that, um, but um, I will say this. Um, you said, um, so there's a few things. One, I, I think one frustrating part of that is that everyone has been like, oh, Mitch can't guard stretch fives. I think a big part of that is because they don't have a, a good help defender at the floor. Look at the teams that have won. I've written about this. Look at the teams that win championships. They do not put, they don't even put neutral players at the floor defensively, to be honest, right? You can look at going back to obviously Draymond, obviously guys like Chris Bosch. Last year, Aaron Gordon really filled that two-way role. Um, Tatum plays the four, but they also have they can play Horford there. They can play KP there, right? You don't win with just because it's your second biggest player, and because you're putting so much on the big, you need that guy to to really step up. Teams without a so so that's one thing, and and especially against a five-out team. Like you're, they're like Mitch plays too soft. He's not going to step out and stretch fives. Yeah, because if he gets beat, or if somebody else gets beat and he can't recover the rim, he cannot rely on the the, the other guy, the other big guy. Um, and I, I think that's that's something that's going to last. Like you can you can blame the centers. You can say they're slow and immobile, and you know we need. We, I think you you really need at some point you're going to need a defensive role player in that position. Um, the second thing I'll say is you said that given Randall's offensive load, maybe it's not fair to expect a lot of him on defense. Look at the top. Look at the all. I, I don't think I don't think you can expect him to be like a lockdown. I don't I don't need him to be an all NBA defender. I need him to like do rotate like do the rotations. Like yeah, that's what I expect you, of him. And if you look at basically every other stuff, like he's two all, two time all NBA player. It's not unfair to hold him to this standard. Um. LeBron James is 39 years old. He, but there's, there's been a couple of pieces written about how impactful he's been. Now, LeBron has a, a super brain. He's a freak. Fine. I'm not, but is he, he a super freak? Super, yeah. Um, you know, guys like, um, especially bigger players, but like guys like Tate, like none of the wings 
what what wing is top notch or viewed as a star that isn't good? Booker is a good defender. Tatum's a good defender. Brown is average, but I don't think he's viewed as that kind of star. Bradley Beal is not a good defender. It's debatable whether he's viewed as that kind of star. And if maybe that's the kind of player we're talking about with Randall. But I think it's especially more damning when it's a big for the reasons I mentioned. Um, and um, and so, yeah, like, I mean, what what contending team have you seen in your lifetime that has been able to roll with a, a subpar player at the power forward position defensively? Can you think of one? Like a real contender? Um, who the fuck was starting for the Suns when they went to the finals? Was it like Cam Johnson? Wasn't it Bridges? I wouldn't have called either Bridges, of them. Bridges, Bridges was in the four. It was like it was like Tory Craig or something like that. No, I, I think mean, it was Cam Johnson. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I know like I know metrics love Cam Johnson. Let me tell you, who doesn't love Cam Johnson. This guy. Would you call him a subpar defender? Yes, Cam Johnson. Before he's definitely. How do you think he did against Giannis? Well, that's, like I mean, who does well against Giannis? I'm not, but yeah, I know. Yeah, but I mean, maybe he would. Who knows? But like, I, I know. I mean, I tear. It doesn't really matter. I think your point is well taken. Like, generally speaking, you. I mean, you really can't even have a minus defender in your lineup to be a true contender at this point. Um, if and if they are, they need to be like supernova level offense, or they just need to be bad in a way where it's like, okay, they're bad, but they compete. You know, like like I think Brunson is bad but he competes and he tries. And if the rest of your lineup is not made of minus defenders, you're probably okay with that. You could probably cover for it, especially if one of those guys is an all NBA caliber defensive backstop, right? That stuff is fine. Um, and obviously uh, RJ's improvement also helps Brunson like that. There's value to all of that, but without Randall, like joining that party, like it doesn't matter. And, and quite honestly, like it just really disappointing because for him to come out after that, you know, uh, that Boston game and talk about how we're not tied together defensively and we all got to work on it, blah, blah, blah. He did the we thing again, our defense isn't been good. And for him to do what he did in that Raptors game where you're like, holy shit. Like, I, I genuinely believe this. I think that first half was the best scoring half I've ever seen from him because of how complete of an offensive game he was showing in terms of where he was scoring from. Um, this wasn't just like, oh, he's hitting five threes or something. This was like, you know, some real mid-range technician type stuff. Uh, but to see that and then juxtapose it to whatever the fuck he was doing on defense in the first half was kind of insane. Um, and, you know, uh, this is like the third or fourth or fifth game in a row now where the team as a collective comes out of halftime. They look like they ripped five shots and did nothing else like they like they did not prepared at all and randall central to that stuff um so that is pretty uh, i mean he's just a weird player man and i don't know like it's to your point though d- defensively like it's hard to compete with a four who can't or doesn't uh try defensively and um you know even more frustrating is like and i think this is where over time I've come to just kind of like understand where Tibbs is coming from. I get why he doesn't want to play Randall at the five because he's probably watching the shit. And he's like, this guy has no idea what he's doing or doesn't care or doesn't try. Like I, I can't trust him to anchor my defense 
no matter what. Like, it's just not a viable situation. And because of that, we don't see any Randall at the five minutes. And I get that. I actually sympathize with it, and I understand it. Like, I think there's – I totally almost agree with Tibbs when it comes to this. Yeah, no, I, I think that's um, – and I don't think – you know, that's also why part of the reason it didn't work out with Obi, right? Um, so I think Randall is going to have to at least compete on defense. It's not, he doesn't, like, I think you said it well, he doesn't have to be an all NBA defender. But yeah, like, the other guys he gets mentioned, even a guy like Durant, right? He's not, he's having more, more of an impact than Randall does. Um, and, and the, like, the bar doesn't need to be that high. But I think there's been, you know, people talk about, oh, in the 90s, the best players played both ways and all that. That isn't as much true as people want it to be. The top players are good defenders. Um, even Cat is this year, right? Um, so I think that that's something they need to work on. I do want to get back to kind of this Quentin Grimes thing. Uh, you know, what do you think was different about the last two games? Is it just a simple matter of him coming off the bench? Um. Yes. I quite honestly think it's that simple. Like, he was not touching the ball. He was clearly frustrated. I think, what's the what's the thing in uh, Star Wars where it's like fear leads to hate, hate leads to anger, anger leads to the dark side? I feel like for Quentin Grimes, it was like, you know, uh, not touching the ball led to frustration. Frustration led to struggling with confidence. Yeah. And confidence led to playing like a total jagoff um, for fucking the you know in all in all facets i will say uh his offense has been much better the last two games if i'm gonna criticize randall for his defense quentin grimes defense against the raptors was atrocious that's like probably the worst defensive performance i think i've ever seen from him um but really it's a tough matchup because of you know just the size there right and yeah, 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 but I, it wasn't just about the size. He was just his rotations and closeouts. It was fucking all over the place. Um, but, and I do, I will say some of that I think is adjusting to like, oh no, I'm playing with this group now, not who I was playing with. So I think he's adjusting a little bit in what is expected of him, what his rotations are and all that stuff like that. Um, but offensively, I mean, this is as confident as I've seen him in, God knows how long. Um, he's just pulling up with no hesitation, playing off the bench. He, I mean, he had a couple of movement threes, which is stuff that we have been like, maybe he doesn't shoot them because he can't make them. Um, but at least for a couple of games now, we've gotten some evidence of like, well, maybe he wasn't shooting them because that's not in the playbook for him with the starters. And, um, you know, w- does this move strengthen the starters and, and the bench? I don't know about that. I do think it's going to get the most out of Quentin Grimes. Um, and like, you know, this is a thing that happens a lot with young players where look, Quentin Grimes goes into like, yes, last, I know that people were like, well, this was his role last year. Why is he not okay with doing it now? And why is he struggling with it so much now? And I think you've got to understand like last year was a second year player who got put into the starting lineup. And guess what? You're probably like, he's a 25th pick, right? So you're like, okay, well, this is great. I'm going to buy into whatever, like anything they're asking me, I'm going to do all the grunt work. I'm going to be happy taking my seven to eight shots from three a game or whatever the fuck it is. I might not, I'm not, I know, I know I'm not going to touch the ball. I know I'm not going to handle the ball much, but I'm fine with that because this is a great step in my career. Okay. 
Now, when you take a step in your career, what's the next thing you do? Do you just, are you just like, all right, I'm good. This is it. It's all I want. Uh, no, like in any job in any business, you always want more, especially at early stages of your career. And for NBA players specifically, especially like, look, let's be real. He's got in two years, he's hoping to land it. Or maybe as soon as this upcoming off season, he's hoping to land a extension um, at a lucrative one. The best way to do that in the NBA, as we know, is to get your numbers up. And I'm not saying it's self. I mean, it is selfish to some degree, but I don't think it's selfish in a way that it's worth criticizing. It's part of your, you know, it's what you want to achieve in your career individually. And um, I think he went into those offseason. We know that he worked a bunch with JJ Redick. We know he talked about, uh, you know, he worked with Penny Hardaway, you know, clearly in an attempt to improve his off the dribble game. So, like, he, he worked to expand his offensive game. And all of a sudden, you come back and it's, that's great. You're doing the same thing. We want you to do the same exact thing that you did last year. And I think it's hard to work all summer, put yourself in a headspace where you're like, man, I'm going to work on my game. I'm going to expand it. And when I come back, I'm going to be able to show everybody what I can do. And when you come back, it's like, well, we don't want you to show everybody what you can do. We want you to do exactly what you did last year. That's it. Um, I think that can be really frustrating. I think that can affect your effort. I think that can affect your execution. I think that can affect um, the force you play with, the confidence you play with. And I think we saw all of that in in effect with Quentin Grimes. And obviously that frustration boiled over after the Milwaukee game. I had no problem with him saying what he said. Um, I, I, I had no problem with Josh Hart saying what he said when he said it, right? A week or two before that about being frustrated with his role in the offense. Um, maybe Emmanuel quickly should say it next and magically he'll start getting more shots and minutes or something. Who knows? Um, but like, I, I don't have a problem with it because I think sometimes it's healthy for guys to, to get, what they feel off their chest and now it's out there and it's done with. Um, and maybe that frustration forced Tibbs hand to move into the bench. Cause he knew, guess what? I, I, I can't, I can't get you those touches with the starters. I, I, it's not possible. I think it's possible by the way, I'm saying what Tibbs thinks. Uh, it's not possible for me to do this. This is, the, and, and if, And, and I, I need this guy, right? Like, I, I need this guy back in the mix. And without him, like, this team takes a big hit. So I need to get him back on side however I can do it. Um, and his choice was to move him to the bench. And I think it's been a choice that has yielded dividends and uh, immediate dividends. And I think it's here to stay, to be honest. I don't know. Like, we'll see. The starters haven't been you know, uh, tearing the world on fire, you know, setting the world on fire, but they've been fine. And I think the bench group will benefit from Grimes being in there. I think Grimes will benefit from being in the bench group. I'm actually really, really excited to see more minutes with quickly Grimes and Hart um, and RJ for that matter. I think those groups could be really, really fun. And I think they benefit too. I think that bench group benefits collectively from having one less like DiVincenzo. Sure. They can him and Grimes slot into their kind of spots and lineups, I think DiVincenzo's somebody who handles the ball more. And that group did not need more ball handling. I think it actually needed a bit less, right? Because you have Hart who likes to get on the ball. You have Quickly who likes to get on the ball. You have RJ who likes to get on the ball. Having a kind of true blue gunner out there 
um, in that group is better. Um, and they get out and run. And I think he benefits from that too. So yeah, I'm excited from what I saw from him offensively. Um, and I think this was the right move. And I do think that it was as simple as he's with the bench. Do you think we'll ever get much more production out of that starting shooting guard position? No. It's just no way. Because one thing Grimes and DiVincenzo will have in common is neither is a great on-ball creator, right? They don't have the confidence maybe to, or the ability to wave off a guy like Randall or certainly Brunson to run their own action. If you had a player in there at the two guard who could, do you think you he, they would be able to actually pull some usage from at least Randall and some of those creation opportunities? Do you think a guy who just has the skill set to absorb more usage on ball would just take it? And the reason why I haven't seen from Grimes or DiVincenzo is just that's just not how they play. What do you mean? Like, uh, you, like you, you think that they are the reason why the shooting guard isn't producing in that starting lineup? I'm saying that perhaps we've been thinking about it where we just think it should be a three and D guy who can play off of the heavy usage guys. Maybe if you want production out of that spot, you want another guy who can do things with the ball in their hands. Um, so if there was a player on the roster who could space, but also could actually be empowered, a guy who has started to wave Randall off a lot more, and he played that starting shooting guard position, hypothetically, if this player t- had happened to exist on the roster and they could do things on ball and off ball, um, do you think that player would have success um, at the shoot- starting shooting guard position? No. Like, I, not with this coach. Not with this coach, not with Randall here. Um, I, I don't. I, I really don't. And um, I think, like, you can just visibly see this different styles of play. Like, when, when Randall's on the floor, a lot of the offense is centered around getting the most out of Julius, catering to Julius, maximizing his game, maximizing his output. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a bad choice by Tibbs. That's a choice that's yielded a lot of success, a lot of wins. The Knicks are a much better team um, than they've been in the past doing this. So who, like, I, I can't definitively say it's a bad choice. I do think there are really big drawbacks to it, um, especially with how slow and methodical they play when they do this. And I do think it's worth noting how different they play when Randall is off the floor. Um, I do think that he is very unique in how he impacts the entire team style of play. Um, and I don't think any other player on this team has that effect. Um, I know Jalen Brunson's a heavy ISO player. I don't think he plays. But he plays a lot faster. When I mentioned that Cleveland game last year, where he dropped 48 on Mitchell. He was, he, he wants to take the ball out of the hoop, even on made baskets. I've seen him want to run a lot and that's just not how they play. And maybe that's somewhat on Randall, but I don't think Brunson at all is a, uh, has an aversion to play fast. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't even know. I, I don't know if pace, like uh, if, if the pace is different with him. I, like, I, I don't know. It just feels like they play faster. Um, it feels like they get into sets faster. It feels like forgetting how the, the pace, I also think it feels like the ball moves cleaner. 
um, and more guys get involved. I think Brunson's more willing to defer uh, or not defer, but let other guys do their thing kind of um, when, when he's on the floor without Randall. Whereas I think when Randall's on the floor without Brunson, he's like, okay, it's time for me to get my, you know, get my goose on. No, uh, as Maurice Claret once said, no, uh, <laughs> just like, it's time for him to get his game off. Right. And that's what he, that's how he views it. And, and I think that comes across in, in when you, when you watch them, it, it, that's what it looks like. Right. It looks like, okay, this guy is not interested in, in, you know, maybe sharing, sharing the load. Uh, no, he, he's like, he, he, he thinks it's his time. And I think that comes across, but um, no, to go back to the original point of like the shooting guard thing, like I, I think whoever's that shooting guard in that lineup is just going to have to deal with that. Um, as long as this is the status quo and, um, you know, maybe it needs to be the coach, maybe it needs to be the players, whatever. But like, if you want that to change, then that's, I, I it needs to be more than just taking out one guy and putting another guy. I, I don't think that's how it works. I don't think that that's how it will work. I do think, I think you need a bit of philosophical change, but I also think the player you put in there needs to be, have the skill set to do that. Right. So I, what if I told you there was a shooting guard on the Knicks who, when he plays with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle in 187 minutes this year, they have a net rating of 10.88. 122.79 offensive reading, 111.91 defensive rating. When he plays with Julius, when he plays with Jalen Brunson without Julius Randle, there's an additional 77 minutes, um, also over 10 net rating, but it's actually a little bit lower than with Julius. Um, so I think you, you can guess who the player I'm talking about is. Do you think, and from what you've seen, do you think, especially as this game has grown, has asserted himself more in that lineup? And if so, I mean, I think that's a pretty strong case for him to start, right? Especially when you look at how well the three of them have played together overall. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I wouldn't disagree. Um, but you're talking about in the starting lineup, right? So... I'm talking about those three together. So there's going to be numbers against bench units. So this would be, this would be IQ, Brunson, Randall. Uh, I assume that quickly is not playing the three. So a lot of these minutes are going to have either Hart or RJ at the three. Yeah. I mean, sure. But I think it's worth just kind of like noting that RJ is in the starting lineup. And I don't see a world where quickly comes in. And all of a sudden, he's taking usage from those guys enough to have the usage that he has in lineups where Hart is the the three, I guess, um, alongside those guys. And even like I took this, this is not a massive sample. Let's take it for what it's worth. He spent 164 minutes going back to the start of last season with Randall, Brunson, and RJ on the floor with him. In those minutes, he has a 13.6 usage. Um, Which is now, Quentin Grimes starting last yeah, year. That's, that's Quentin Grimes. Um, now, in those minutes, the Knicks have a 128.7 offensive rating and a, wait for it, 111.3 defensive rating. Again, it's 164 minutes. Do I think they're going to have, you know, the all-time greatest net rating in the history of the league? Maybe, probably not. I do think that's a lineup that should and, and probably is very, very good. 
the problem is like is that actually a role that like we've seen now okay we saw quentin grimes get frustrated about this role like we saw evan fournier struggle last year in this role right i mean and some of that's just evan fournier sucks we saw cam reddish quite honestly right he got frustrated in this role um and like say what you want about those guys but if if dudes are constantly coming into this kind of the the setup that we have and they're ultimately getting frustrated by what their role is it says something like and i don't think that you can tell emmanuel quickly first of all you already cut his fucking minutes on 24 this year which is a joke second you're gonna be like well you're gonna get more minutes maybe but you're gonna get way less touches way less shots up in a contract year i think that's bananas um i i don't think you can sell that and i think that's just crazy to ask of him and I think if you look, I'm sure there'll be people that'll be like, well, he's, you know, if he's a good teammate, you care. yeah, dude, he's been a good teammate for four years. This is payday time. And it's not like the Knicks are going out of their way to, to do him a solid so far this year, as far as ensuring he, well, I mean, you, you can bring him back with the bench and still get in those bench minutes. But if you start him, it's easier to get him to 30, 32 minutes a night. And his usage with the bench is still going to be there. Right. So. Um. Sure. Like, I, I just don't know how you, he's not going to get touches in that starting lineup and that ultimately is going to matter. And I don't know. I, I've always been against it, especially with this coach, because I don't think that the ball is not going to be popping around and everybody's going to get a feel and it's just not going to work like that. Um, so. Yeah, so, I mean, the reason why I think that without making a trade, right, getting quickly from you posted, I think, in the strict court, some of the on-offs, right? It's a very stark difference. Grimes and um, Grimes and DiVincenzo are about minus seven, minus eight. Not because their minutes are terrible, but they're just about neutral. And quickly and, and hard are like plus eight, right? So the on-off is pretty pretty significant difference. Hard's already getting 28 minutes. Um, I think the biggest lever you can pull is get the most one of the most impactful guys, get him eight more minutes a game. Um, and if that comes in a starting lineup where he is taking a back seat, that's fine, but it makes the team better. I think as long as he's still getting those same minutes with the bench on top of that, right? He's just getting an extra eight minutes a game, maybe. Um, I still think he can get his numbers. And now he can say, I'm getting those numbers as the starting shooting guard who also runs bench units. That is a, that is a, a difficult, a different role. And that allows you to market yourself a little bit different um, because no longer are teams wondering, should we be paying, um, you know, 25 million or 30 million for an unproven starter? No, we, that wouldn't be a question for the Knicks anymore either. Right. That's what everyone says. Well, we can't pay $25 million if a guy is just a sixth man. One, I think quickly is so unique that that might even just be true because it might be, I think if even if he plays 24 minutes a game, it's a fair argument that he is worth it just because of how impactful he is. But um, I do think that, yeah, like I think that's the best lever you, you can pull. And I think eventually they're going to have to start quickly. They're going to have to play him starters minutes. Like that's just, there's, there's no other real path to internal improvement besides that. Yeah. I mean, he should get more minutes, uh, but he can do that off the bench too. Like it's really not hard. He fucking did it with Grimes last game, which is really, really fucking annoying by the way. He put Grimes in at the same time as Josh Hart. And I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, this is literally all you've needed to do this entire quickly. And 
that would solve so much. I think if you um, map out the weight tip subs, though, it's easier to get quickly to 30, 32 minutes if you start him. And then you just make him the first sub, right? And you bring him back with the bench, which you do anyway, right? So Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I'm just... I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't see it happening, and um, I'm not holding my breath about it because he clearly, for whatever reason, refuses to start him. I mean, he's had a chance to start him how many times over the last three years, especially? I mean, really since his rookie year. Fuck that. I mean, no, he started him when Brunson was hurt. That's yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the only time he started. He Oh, yeah, he started the last game of, the last two games of 2022 or whatever the fuck it was. Um, had a triple double and 42 points. He he does not he he will not start him. This is like he started Deuce McBride over him when Deuce was a rookie who barely ever played because he just wanted to keep quickly off the bench because he likes him in that role. Like I, he this is what he does. This is what he does. Hartenstein has never started. Do you know this? Hartenstein has never started for the Knicks. That's why they don't call him Startenstein. Crickets. Okay. Uh, not your finest hour. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't see that happening. Um, I, I, I think that I, I sure maybe. Um, but and I think I get that people are tired of having a discussion. I think that's a very kill two birds with one stone type of idea. Start him, get him to 32 minutes, let him run the bench. You probably make your contract negotiations a little bit easier over the summer. Um, and I, you know, yeah, it's him. My tips might not want to do that, but we have seen the the front office nudge him at times, and I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if that's already happening, particularly quickly. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think he look if you if you want my honest opinion, I'll say this: like the concerns about fucking size. Oh, how can quickly and Brunson and maybe they, you know, how can Tim start them together? Like it's just tough. Like the side, you can't start Dante DiVincenzo at the two, next to Brunson, and then talk to me about concerns about size. Get the fuck out of here. Like he's six three and three quarters, I think, with a yeah. six four, four and three quarters wingspan. Quickly six two and a half, I believe, in shoes, with a six eight six nine wingspan. Like I'm sorry, these are not totally different players they're just not and um you know maybe you'll take a hit on the glass even chance was a good rebounder he's better rebounding than quickly um but like i just i on aggregate you there's no way you're going to convince me that that unit wouldn't be better than it is with divincenzo um and and now the excuse of well how can you start two small guards in the backcourt together that that shit is done dude that that shit's been done but it never really held much merit to begin with last year so going back to last year they've runson and quickly have played 1200 minutes they have a 111.72 defensive rating um it has been consistent this year it's like 112.3 so they've been consistently good we know they're bonkers on offense that is 120.9 offensive rating so the two of them together that is your best backcourt let's not let's not have any like grimes is playing better great steven chenzo is a good player that is those that is your that is, those are your two best guards. Um, I do think that playing them without Randall maybe is going to lead to more usage for quickly, but like that lineup needs to close basically every game. Um, you know, unless quickly is just really off or just having a bad defensive game. I, I don't think there's any that, that we shouldn't have to mince words there. And and the fact is like quickly covers a lot for Brunson's defensive issues, frankly, because quickly is their best team defender. So. 
yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're not going to get an argument out of me. Um, so, look, I, I agree. I would love if Quickly started, but I don't expect it because why the fuck would I? Um, the coach doesn't seem to be interested in starting him, probably because he doesn't want to fuck up his rotations and staggering and all that stuff. Um, no, you never fuck up the so, rotation, bro. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Tibbs, Tibbs never does. But, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, we can sit and talk about it. I just don't expect it. Um, and especially, like, look, they – we'll see. Maybe if the defense keeps – being terrible and they lose a couple more games in a row or something like maybe maybe he will but uh as things stand like i i don't expect this to change and i do think like yeah look if you're if you're quickly i, I don't know if i'm him at the bare minimum forget my role like i need to be at 20 minutes a night like how am i getting less minutes when i'm again leading the team and like on court impact i think he's second and on off now like behind josh hart like and this is the thing he, all the guys that Tibbs prioritizes literally all of them. Randall, Brunson, Hart, RJ. Like all of these guys play better with quickly on the floor. They are like 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 RJ, like Hart and Quickly basically are the two guys who take lineups up a notch. I'm not saying that's just because of them, but the way they play with guys like Brunson and Randall, for whatever reason takes those groups up to a higher level. And if your priority is winning fucking ball games, then 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 show me. Like I don't know. Like I I don't really he keeps talking about net rating. I'm like, you can't fucking talk about net rating and then play a guy who's basically been your best net rating play. He's not basically he has been your best net rating player for four years. He's so four years too, right? It's not like it's been the high variance. I think yeah, his rookie his rookie year was like Rose, but like Rose Rose is weird because oh. he barely he didn't really even play that much to be honest. But like, yeah, Rose, but like he's been basically in your top two or three every single year. Been your he was clearly your best guy last year. Um the year before also, like he it's just it's ludicrous. Like I I, I don't get it. Uh and I, I'll never get it because I just I'm like, man, for all the good things that I think Tibbs has done and, and some of the stuff that I think he's grown as, as a coach, or grown at as a coach, uh, this stuff with Quickly is just so mind-boggling to me. It, it does not make any sense. And, um, you know, look, do the Knicks have art? Like, they have restricted free agency rights and they don't have to trade him, and I get all that. But, look, I, I just think that, like, you're playing a pretty dangerous game here. Like, to just constantly expect this guy to be cool with, like, whatever you give him and sacrifice for the team and sacrifice his role and sacrifice his minutes. And, and, and we didn't reach an extension agreement and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think you're playing a dangerous game. Um, that, you and, know, and maybe first give him $35 million, right? You will, you might want to say, well, should we pay that for a backup guard? Well, is he just a backup guard? This is your chance to find out, right? If you rob yourself, not only of improving your team in the short term, but getting that data point, I think it's going to be tough. Um, I mean, look, I they mean, have the data point. The guy's been started. He started, what, how many games last year? 21 or something? His minutes in those yeah. games were fucking awesome. Like, his minutes without Brunson, I think he was putting up, like, 22, 5, and 5 or something in those games without Brunson. Uh, like, I'm Even super year, high. His usage, when he's played, his usage has gone up. He's actually scoring more points than last year, right? So, or just about the same in four less minutes. So, he's, if anything, even shown more aggression, right? 
Yeah. Um, and, and efficiency. He's 57 true shooting again um, with a lot of pull-ups. Um, I guess the, I guess the question is, you know, do you th- like, what do you think they're going to like, let's say the Spurs or someone offers him 30 million. I don't think that's unreasonable at best this point, unless he really drops off in his play. Do you think the Knicks let him walk? Or do you think they match and try to trade him? Like, what do you think happens there? Uh, I think they would just match. I think they'll just match and try and figure it out later. They wouldn't let they. There is zero chance in your mind that they would let him go for nothing, right? Uh, yeah that that would be that that they can't like that would be the worst case scenario for them. I don't see how they would even justify that to anybody, uh, let alone themselves. It, it makes no sense. They they can't afford and you to do all, that. And do you also see that they probably? I mean, do you think they there's a possibility that if they think a reagreement isn't going to reach or it's going to be more expensive than they like, they get ahead of it and trade them now? I trade him before the deadline. Um, no, I, I I don't. I'd be surprised if they trade him before the deadline. I just don't see what they could possibly get. Like I, I just don't see who's going to be available. You make the team worse. That's what I'm saying. Like I, that's what I don't. I don't really understand it. Now maybe they've maybe never the made way. a move that makes them worse in the season, right? So yeah, the the only the only way I could see it is if. The season goes completely off the rails with Mitch out, and they're like, "Well, we fucking suck anyway this year." If ultimately we believe we're going to trade quickly, and some team comes in with like a really good pick offer or something, maybe you do it. But even then, I don't know. First of all, I don't see this team going off the rails, so that would be tough to believe. Um, and yeah, you're like again, and as we know, like we've seen these guys now. This is their fourth year, right? Leon's fourth year in charge. We've never seen them make a move in season to try and make the team worse. Um, maybe they unintentionally did when they acquired Cam Reddish, but uh, but like no, I'm joking. Obviously, they they didn't even play enough to to blame him for anything like that. But like they've never done it, right? Training for Derrick Rose. I think even training for Reddish was an idea of like, okay, this is a chance to buy low on somebody who can maybe fill a role for us. Uh, obviously, the Josh they're, they're losing is- Knox and a pick, right? So they were not. Yeah. Um- and that pick, by the in... way, that pick is probably never going to be a first round pick for what it's worth. Um, and then, yeah, and then and then you traded a bunch of crap plus a first round pick for Josh Hart, right? So it's like they've all these moves have been made in the service of either acquiring talent to improve your roster down the line or acquiring guys to help you win right now. So um, never have they made a move that was just like, well, let's sell off a piece here. Like I, I just don't. I, I'd be very, very surprised. Um, now, is there a scenario where player, you know, let's say Cleveland's like, hey, you know what? We're done with Donovan Mitchell. Get this guy out of here. Um, is there a scenario where they might use quickly in a trade to get him? Sure. Fine. But, like, I don't anticipate that being a thing. Like, I I, I just – I really have a tough time imagining being Kobe Altman and going to ownership hat in hand, a you know, a year and a half after you traded the mother load for Donovan Mitchell, including Larry Markinen, by the way, um, and being like, hey, so it's not working. Can we trade Donovan Mitchell? Like, that's how you, you know what you want to know how what happens? Uh, you get fired. That, that's what that's that's something that'll get you fired. So, like, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, maybe in the summer, but not right now. And the thing is, like, I want to so I think you- this is what this trading trading quickly in the summer is not easy. Like, if generally restricted free agents to sign and trade don't fetch good offers um and 
they're also complicated to do because of the math. And then if they sign off, if he signs an offer sheet and they match, they can't trade him for a year. So like, I just kind of think that this will play out. Like I, 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 the only, I could see him getting traded in season if nothing about his role changes and he goes to management and is like, this is a joke. Uh, you're costing me money and you don't value me the way I should be valued, which you prove by not extending me. And now you, you're proving by fucking around with my minutes after I was and should have been the sixth man of the year last year. Um, you know, like you don't think what, it's time what, for to for Knicks fans to accept that Brogdon was just better than quickly off the bench. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Shout out Michael Pina, dumbest fucking loser in the world. Um, but yeah, uh, it's uh, that's the only that's the that's the scenario where I could see him at like leaving. But even in that scenario, I do suspect if that conversation happened, and I'm I'm sure it wouldn't just like all of a sudden it wouldn't come out of the blue like one day where he's like, hey, I'm pissed. Like I think you would have those conversations throughout the season with him. Um, and I think if it got to that point, or if it got to a point where they're worried about it, I do think that you know maybe there'd be a conversation with Tibbs, and it's like, hey, look, like we're talking about four extra minutes a game for a guy who look at the numbers, bro. You're dominating his minutes, like. Just get him out there like for four or five extra minutes a game. And I don't care where you take it from. Um, but yeah, that that's the only scenario where I really see him being moved. Other than that, I think he's like too valuable right now. Um, and yeah. You also said, I think, on a previous pod that you think the Mitchell situation, unless they probably improve, certainly from where they are right now, is kind of inevitable, right? He has a year out in his contract, unless Mobley makes a jump or they make a serious run. They will look. Which is still possible. What? Which is still possible. Which is still possible. Is that how you see this playing out? And if so, I think you said that you'd be on board with the Knicks trading for Mitchell. Do you think that's the most likely outcome here? Uh, I do think he's gone. Like I, I, I don't think he's planning on staying in Cleveland past his contract. Um, does that mean it'll hundred percent be the Knicks? I don't know. Um, I do have a strong feeling it would be one of the New York teams. Um, that's what I think. But yeah, I mean, I think like, especially like, you know, trading for him when he was available from Utah made no sense to me, given what we know or what we knew at the time. We didn't know enough about quickly. We didn't know enough about Obi um, who, you know, maybe, maybe we didn't, yeah. Yeah. We didn't know enough about these guys. And then you're talking about trading all your, future draft capital especially the stuff that's far out like 25 27 29 that's really tough and i was not on board with that i think also the cost was more prohibitive because of the years he had left on his contract if you're talking about trading for him in the offseason when he's got one year left in his deal yeah you're still gonna have to give up something of value but i think the price point is totally different and that makes it more appealing to me um oh, also you're saying yesterday's price is not today's price correct and and i also i think uh you know, having seen Brunson now play with another small guard or whatever, uh, you can see that offensively anyway, that I think him and Donovan would be really dynamic together. Mitchell's um, been defending better for his worth this year, I think. Um, I mean, I think he benefits a lot from just from like kind of their, you know, they have Allen and they have Mobley back there. That helps a lot. Um, I don't know how good he is on defense. I do think that like, 
I mean, he's, I, he's a lot more aggressive. So you see that in uptakes and steal rates. Um, I mean, he's the physical tools always been there, right? Um, is he still going to get cooked by Brunson on switches? Probably, but um, well, but I mean, I, mean, I think the bigger the bigger issue isn't Brunson to me. Let's just put it that way. Uh, if you trade for Donovan Mitchell, the player I'm not concerned about sinking our defense or w- what what the reason is for our defense not being good is not Jalen Brunson, and I will leave it at that. Um, yeah, I um, I think at that point though, if you follow that, Randall has to go at that point, right? If you trade for Mitchell. Because you would, would now so. have another high usage guy, so what you really need is to surround them with great defenders. That's what Cleveland has done or tried. If the Knicks yeah, want to high, recreate high that, usage, Randall has to go. And you'd have three, you'd have three minus defenders in that lineup with Brunson, Mitchell, and and Randall. It's just not feasible. Um, a guy in that starting lineup that we didn't talk about, but I think deserves to be talked about a little bit, um, is RJ Barrett. He, I actually liked how he played against Boston. Thought he had a good game. Thought he picked his spots well. I thought he had good shot selection, and I thought he played really, really well, especially on the stretch against. Well, he he played really well in the fourth quarter against Toronto. His finishing, um, he he started off the game I think four of thirteen, and then he finished eleven of twenty one. So you know th- this is kind of like the opposite of what you usually get from RJ, where he starts off super hot, and then at the end of the game you're like, wait, how did you go nine of twenty for twenty one points? Where did this come from? Um, and this was the opposite, right? He finished up being 11 to 21 from the field for 27 points. Again, finishing was really good. And it was impressive, I think, because this is a team with the kind of length um, that can impact him at times, you know, given that he This is a team that has historically also been able to climb on his shoulders right. and not be called for a foul yes. because he still made the dunk anyway. So This is this is a team that's historically able to just... I, 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 the other part, too, that fourth quarter, he got fucking elbowed in the face by Scotty Barnes and didn't get a call. And then he he had to get like elbowed on top of the head again by Malachi Flynn to get a call on like basically the next possession, uh, and and I don't know I just could not believe they didn't call that a flagrant because they call everything a fucking flagrant now, um, but yeah he I thought he played really well down the stretch and I just wanted to shout him out and I and I know we did mention him but I thought Hart was awesome I think Hart's playing really well yeah. I like how aggressive he's been shooting from three he even took a pull up three in this game in the first half, um, I think he's playing with good force. The defense has slipped a little bit. I think he's, I think there's a little bit of just guys trying to do too much right now. Uh, him and DiVincenzo, very specifically, those two seem to be all over the place, like just trying to do too to much. To compensate for one guy not doing, trying to do much at all? No, I mean, I don't even say that, but yes, it is It is a good joke. But like, I just think they're trying to do too much. But like, um, I thought Hart was awesome in this game. And I think he's been pretty solid for a while now. Uh, and quite honestly, even at the start of the year when he was not, like, his numbers were struggling, the team was still playing better with him on the floor. Like he, he's just one of these guys, and with how, with, for whatever reason, with how he fits on this team, um, he just he he has an impact, and he he makes us go in a very different way than than others can make us go. Um, and yeah, I just thought against the Raptors, he was awesome, and he's been awesome against them in both games. And I, I think Omar's brought this up in our Discord, but like, do you compare it's, the way we've struggled? Hometown against... team, right? Oh, I thought you were going to go. I, I think he's historically done well against the Raptors because it is his hometown team, right? So RJ? Like he gets it. Yeah. You mean RJ? Oh, you're yeah. talking about yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I was just going to say, like, Josh Hart, Omar's talking about this, but like, Omar uh, in our Discord, but like, Hart's. We didn't have Hart in any of the matchups against Toronto last year. We lost um, in all very frustrating ways. We went one and three against them. 
I do think he very much helps us in matchups like these um, where they have these kind of big wings. And I know Hart himself is undersized, but it plays with a physicality that, that can match up with those guys, which RJ, like, let's be real, RJ and Randall, especially when it comes to grabbing contested rebounds, are not good. Um, and I think Josh Hart's awesome at that. And even DiVincenzo is pretty good at that. And, like, I think having those guys has made a material difference in this very specific matchup against Toronto. Yeah, and the, it, Toronto is a team where you do need a, a gang effort, right? Because you do have all of these big 6'10 guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, like I said, Hart, like people love to joke, oh, he averages eight points a game, we're giving him $20 million, whatever. Hart does, like, he is another net rating guy. He's and he, guy he had seven who, assists in this game, too, though. He, he, was, he, he was everywhere in this game. Um, and, and I think it says something that, you know, he himself complained a little bit about his role. Um, and I, I look, this is not to rip on Grimes, but Hart finds a way to make an impact even when he's not having plays run for him. That is still something I'd like Grimes to, to do more of. Um, you know, he's getting more shots up with the second unit, but, uh, and that's again, veteran savvy. I'm not, you know, it's typical, it's no young players going to have the savvy of, of Josh Hart. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, had 16, eight and seven perfect shooting from three, you know, he's going to have some limitations, but um, the, the Knicks essentially have only th- they, they have three players or four players over six, six, nine. And that's working out for them in large part because Josh Hart is an excellent rebounder um, and he's, he's able to do everything that's asked of him. Um, and I think it's yeah, I, I've just I have generally felt like RJ's process has improved the last couple of games. Um, I think it's been better all season. Um, you know, you'd still like some of the, the decision making can can go up and down the shooting can come up go up and down um but you know we still see you know when when he's when it's clicking and he's he's feeling you know he's making the right decisions he is a load to keep from the rim um you know he he has improved his finishing he's added that little floater um it'll be interesting would, to see would you would you say you're tired of getting a taste and you want the full load i want the full load yeah <laughs> um jesus um but, um, but yeah, so the Knicks now will go on a four-game road trip. So they got Utah, the LA teams, and Phoenix, I believe, right? Correct. Um, so Utah feels like a must-win. The Lakers are obviously playing really well. Just won the um, in-season tournament. Um, Clippers have started to gel a little bit more with Harden, uh, and then the Suns, even without Durant, beat the Knicks. So that's not a, a gimme at all, especially on the road. Um, do you think Utah? I mean, I haven't watched too much Utah. Do they go a lot of five out with Lowry? I, I think Kessler might be hurt too. Um, so I'm yeah, curious Kessler's supposed to be out. Clarkson, the Knicks have been. yeah, Clarkson's out for this game also. Um, I don't know, I don't really watch too much Utah, but I think they play they play quite a bit of five out, right? Because they have Olinick there also. Um, and I think yeah. they play they've been like they play Fontecchio in the front court a bunch. They play Collins in the front court. Like they have guys they can nominally stretch the floor. So yeah, I mean I, they they definitely spread you out. Um, but look, this is a game the Knicks should win. They should win this game. They should th- this especially you know look your dad they're down Clarkson they're down uh, Walker Kessler like you should win this game even if Markinen comes back yeah. and maybe there's and maybe there's a chance Markinen doesn't come back because maybe they'll be like well. Fuck it, like we're probably gonna get rocked anyway. But whatever the re- they should win this game. Uh, I think quickly we'll be back. He he was a questionable. He was basically a game time decision for the last game. Um, so I'm assuming that he was very close. I, I would be surprised if he doesn't play today. 
Uh, maybe they're cautious because they're like, well, we don't need you for Utah, so rest up and get ready for <laughs> Phoenix on Friday. But, like, yeah, I think that uh, this is a game they should win. But, yes, to your point, yes, Utah does spread you out, and you do have to be aware for that. What do you mean by that? Um, so the um, the it is interesting. I think this is kind of a I don't want to say a trap game, but there is some sleeper potential here. These are the kinds of teams they have some young, quick guards. Um, I know you've never been the biggest Colin Sexton fan, but he's a quick, dynamic, athletic guard who can get to the rim. Uh, you know, Keontae George is one of Prez's favorites. Still a young guy, but again, quick, uh, athletic. Um, Clarkson has given the Knicks trouble in the past. He's not playing, so you know they. So they're going to see Utah a little banged up, but they have youth, athleticism. Five out is indeed kind of a difficult situation for the Knicks. Maybe this is the way to get better, where you know if you never see five out teams and then you go straight to four hundred level, you know, guarding Dame and Giannis and pick and roll, right? Um, that this might be a good way to kind of practice or, or see them how they can adjust to that kind of personnel. Uh, obviously, without that level of star power, um, so I am very curious. You know, are there changes, especially with Mitch out? Do you see them be more aggressive with Sims? Um, you know, hedging some of those things. Do you see them, you know, maybe switch Randall's responsibilities or try to hide him somewhere else if if they can't rely on his rotation? Um, you know, do they if they're playing Divincenzo? Do they, you know, how do they do they deal with maybe if he if he has a, a size matchup or something? Um, you know, can he, can he handle a guy like Sexton who's not the greatest player, but again, pretty quick. Um, I think it, it'll be an interesting game to answer his questions, but, um, even though they should win, um, there's some, uh, there's some sneaky interestingness and I could see Utah, especially if they get hot from three, causing a little bit of a discomfort for Nick's fans. Um, I have no idea what to expect from Tibbs. Maybe he'll have Sims, uh, Hedgemore, Blitz and Switch, whatever, but like, in general, even going back to last season, he's just kept the defensive kind of adjustments to a minimum and kept running drop. Well, he he did mix it up against Milwaukee, right? They trapped Milwaukee early on, and then again they just were finding Giannis and and again that's not all on the rotations of the Knicks. Those are two really good players in that specific situation. But and they were just on fire. Like you can't really do anything against that. Um, but no, I I don't. I I think that a lot of the reason why he was comfortable doing that against Milwaukee is probably because he trusts Mitch. I don't think he trusts Jericho since the same way. I don't think he trusts Hartenstein the same way. So um, I, I would be surprised if you see too many out-of-the-box adjustments. Maybe late in the game if it's close and they've been killing us in pick and roll, maybe then he'll switch it up. Um, he's had Sims switch um, out uh, onto the perimeter and pass matchups that we've seen late in games. So maybe that's something that he does. But I don't. I think for the majority of the game, you're going to get what you get. Um, and that's what it is. So we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, go ahead. Will be interesting to see if they at least execute better than they did against those teams, or, or get a little sharper there with some practice. Well, so. Let's hope so because uh, you know the schedule does not let off here. Um, after after Utah, you got Phoenix, and then you got the LA teams. I think you got. I think. I mean, the, I think. I'm pretty sure the Knicks have the Clippers Saturday night, so they have a back to back Phoenix and then Clippers, and then they play the Lakers on Monday, I believe. So. Um, yeah, look, this is a, a, this is a road trip. Obviously there's, this is their first West coast trip of the season. Um, so they've got a, they've got a lock in here and, uh, you know, if the, honestly, if they come, if you told me they come out of this trip with the two, two split, I'm happy. I think you take that and you move on. 
Um, but one and three is on the table if they're not careful, you know, one four is on the table if they're not careful. So you got to bank these wins, especially and like, look, with Mitch out, you can't, you can't treat these games like gimmies, especially now. There's um, no margin for error. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and look, we, the East is good. The East is, is it's competitive. Like every game is going to matter. And I, I will say this, I do think in the East, the top eight has separated itself. Um, there's a clear top eight and, you know, I can't believe it says credit to Brooklyn. They're actually in that mix. Like they've been really surprising this year. Um, but like that, that top eight is solid. And then there's a gap and then there's like the Raptors and the fucking bulls Hawks. No, the Hawks. And I guess the kind of the bulls are sneaking their way up now without uh, Zach Levine, who we def- definitely need to trade for. He's so, so good. Um, <clears throat> all right. I think that's a good place to end this. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here. Nope. That's cool. Awesome. Uh, all right, Stacy, let people know where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, Stacy Patton 89. Um, I'll, uh, I'll continue to plug all the great work at the Strickland. Um, keep checking out Strictly NFL and takes from obvious bozos. Um, I will particularly shout out Strictly NFL. So even I've learned a lot from, um, from Khan and, and Jeff, um, you know, the, about football and, and all of that. So it's, um, yeah, a lot of great content coming out of the Strickland. Continue to check it all out. Um, yeah, I will uh, echo all those sentiments. Uh, Matt, Matthew Miranda, wrote a great uh, recap on the Raptors game yesterday. So uh, definitely recommend checking that out if you have not done so already. Aside from that, uh, I'd like to plug personally. Um, I just wanted to note this randomly. Brunson had a really weird turnover game against Raptors. He had seven turnovers, and none of them were like, always struggling with size or just stupid um so hopefully he gets that cleaned up he has been a little bit more turnover prone this year so that's something to look up but um all right aside from that i'd like to plug so uh again just plug all the work in Strickland and uh and i'll plug our sponsor ben online all right that is our show for today i hope everybody has a great rest of the week and i will see you on monday after the bills to keep the cowboys Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.